welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Hot. Yeah, it's scorching. I I feel a little bit off today because, and this is a really stupid thing, but it bothers me. Um, My wife rearranged our living room where we're recording, and so... We had the couches across from each other with the table in between, which was... So we could look in each other's eyes. <laughs> yeah, which we can still do. But what bothers me is I have this weird thing. Like, I feel like everything that I have, I always put, like, parallel or perpendicular. If it's not a right angle, it's a wrong angle. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. And uh, so, so I came home a couple of days ago, and my stepdaughter was was the only one home and she's like um mom said that she knows you're gonna hate it but you need to leave the living room the way that it is <laughs> <laughs> and i was like because it was really funny i walked in i looked at it and i was like Ugh. and i was just like debating in my head whether i even say anything or not but uh basically what she did was like she kept the one couch straight as it was and then instead of having the other couch run parallel it's like at a 23 degree angle like from the other couch it doesn't really have much flow to it it has no flow at all it looks like it would be awkward to get over your computer and stuff yeah and it's and it's also like we have this uh fireplace that doesn't work it's just there like that you find that a lot in this neighborhood in montana like there's all these old fireplaces that they just brick off and don't work anymore they they just keep them for decoration but it's at like a 45 degree angle in the room and so like you would think it would at least line up with the fireplace but no like it's just one of my wife's eccentricities like she likes to have things off angle but it really bothers me it really does but i can't really say anything because the uh my stepkids are going with their dad for the summer, so it's it's not as crowded. So it's like I think I'm just gonna have to learn to live with it at least for now. So she'll change her mind and want to change it again soon enough anyway. So maybe I can get a right angle when that happens, not the wrong angle as you put it. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so I I do want to. I don't really have a review of this per se, but I did jump into the first three episodes of Orange Is the New Black for the newest season. It's pretty good. Like the last season ends on a riot essentially, and so they they kick right off with the riot, and the riot's still going. Uh, three episodes in, so it's it's pretty interesting that like all of the guards are now basically inmates, and all the inmates are running the show. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. Interesting. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because it's a nice little like uh, switch on the show. But I, I know you didn't get through the fourth season, but the fourth season you can kind of understand how you get to here because basically the prison the prison is like privatized and shit just goes sideways. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting because they're commenting on stuff that's actually happening now. You know, with all the prisons being privatized, so um, it's a nice uh, it's a, it's it's nice to be played off of that. But anyway, uh, so I, I've been watching that, and then I've also been watching a ton of stand up comedy off of Netflix too. Like I know I watched, I think I, I said I watched like Sarah Silverman last week, and then since then I also watched like Louis C.K.'s new special, 
and I watched uh, Norm McDonald's new special and Tracy Morgan's new special. So How was Norm McDonald's special? Norm McDonald's special is really funny. It takes you a minute to get into it because he's got his slow style. He's got a really slow, dry style. Yeah. And that has not changed. If anything, it's gotten slightly slower. <laughs> but it's really funny. Like, I really recommend it. It's good. And it was interesting, too, because my wife, she never knows anything with Saturday Night Live. Like, it's just not something that she grew up watching or particularly appreciates even now. Every now and then she'll laugh at something. But, like, sketch comedy is just not her thing. But she was walking by the TV when I started watching Norm MacDonald. She sits down to watch it with me. And she's like, man, he gained a lot of weight. And I was like, I like hugged her. And I'm like, you know who Norm MacDonald is? And she's <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm like, how do you know him? And she's like, I don't know. And it's like, did you watch Saturday Night Live with them? She's like, no. And I was like, dirty work? The Norm MacDonald show? And she just shrugged her shoulders. So <laughs> we don't know why she knows who Norm MacDonald is. But she's exactly right. He's like three times the size <laughs> from what he was. So that's like a little weird when you, because I haven't really seen Norm MacDonald for a long time. So it was a little jarring seeing him at first, but, uh, dude is funny. Like his stuff is still really, really funny. Um, <laughs> the specials, I think it's called Hitler's dog. <laughs> and there's a whole story behind that that you get to at the end, but, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. And then Tracy Morgan special. So you saw that too. So I did see that. We can have a conversation about that really quick. So you told me it was really, really dirty and you were absolutely correct. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to see that the same way I did because he got like, well, it's weird seeing somebody through Saturday Night Live so long because they're really filtered on that mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah. And then you see them outside of that, and you're like, oh, this is what they're really like on stage. Yeah. Yeah, and I had told you um, off mic that when you were sort of telling me about it that I had actually, I was prepared for it when I watched this, especially you saying something, but even before that, I would have been prepared for it because I, I heard him on like a BS report back when Bill Simmons was with ESPN, and they were in New Orleans, and they, I think it was when they had whichever Super Bowl it was that was in New Orleans. Um, we don't need to say it. Just shut up. But anyway. <laughs> Somebody lost. Shut up. <laughs> anyway. Um, but he had all these guests on and they were clearly drinking throughout the thing. But Tracy Morgan came on and like, so he basically, he always has this, he always had this intro that was like the BS report has adult conversation. Like it, it kind of gives a, a warning. And then Bill Simmons like comes on and gives another warning after that <laughs> warning. Like, Hey, like Tracy Murray's really funny, but this is some pretty <laughs> raunchy stuff. So I just wanted to give you an extra warning. And, uh, yeah, it didn't disappoint you, but man, he has not lost his fastball at all. Like, no, I thought he was absolutely hilarious. And I watched it with my wife who she knows him through watching 30 rock. Uh, cause we watched, well, she watched almost a whole run of 30 rock with me. She sort of fell off once we got through Netflix with the last season and I just kept going. But, uh, 
like Tracy Morgan, she she likes, and so it was like she fucking died laughing at some parts too, which I appreciate. My wife, I never know when it's dirty. You know? Opposite reaction. Yeah, not not. We started fun. watching it, and like ten minutes in, she's like, "I'm done. <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed." And I feel like a few years ago, my wife would have been there too, but she's just like softened. I I noticed like. She even swears more than she... When we first got together, she never swore. In fact, when she was mad about something, she would say barnacles as if she was in SpongeBob <laughs> because she didn't want to swear around the kids. And like, that's gone. Like, <laughs> I've corrupted my, my wife, Amanda. So, uh, But yeah, she really enjoyed it too. It's just, It was really funny. Did you finish watching it after your wife? Oh, yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was it was pretty good. I really liked his song selections too. <laughs> Just a lot of like kind of disco songs. Donna Summer. Yeah. Among he had like three of them, but yeah. two two out of the three is talking about his dick singing them. You just have to watch to know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I watched that this morning. Like I woke up and just started playing it immediately because we were in our room and I didn't hear the kids up yet. And I'm like, this is my only chance to watch it today. <laughs> so I'm gonna take that chance. And uh, it didn't it didn't disappoint. Netflix is kind of killing it right now. You know they have a really good selection of stand up comedy on there. Yeah, they're gonna and they're and I said this a while ago. I think it started with Chappelle. It might have started slightly before that, but they're releasing um, a stand up like a stand up every single week all year. And so it's like, this is the biggest boom for stand-up comedy that they've had since, like, I want to say the 90s. Yeah, it's been a while. Like, when Comedy Central was constantly, like, plastering specials on, and, like, then you would have, like, HBO would do specials, and Showtime was starting to dip their foot into specials, and they would do some, too. And uh, I don't think we've really, like, HBO will do, like, the really big stand-up comedians and put one out, like, a couple a year i think but other than that there hasn't really been anybody and netflix has been you know pretty steady getting in stand-up specials but yeah and it's fucking going for it you know what's interesting is you can see a lot of the not headline acts but are really funny uh people like uh jim jeffries Mm -hmm. i i watched uh his special just because i had watched his uh, FX series. Oh, what the hell is it called? Uh, What's it about? Um, it's got him. Uh, this this other weird guy you've seen in stuff <laughs> with crazy, like a ginger guy with crazy hair. Kind of looks like uh one of the Three Stooges. Okay. Anyways, you've probably seen him in a few things. Which anyway. Which of the Three Stooges? Like Larry. Curly. Curly, okay. So bald? No, no. Isn't Curly bald and Larry's got the hair out to the sides and then Moe's got the bowl cut? Yeah. So it'd be uh, Larry. Oh, okay. All right. With with the crazy hair, wavy hair. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I can't, trying to think of the name of that show. Legit. Okay. Um, But it's... These uh, two guys living in a house, three guys living in a house, and they're taking care of the third character. It's uh, DJ Qualls. Mm. And he's like uh, another weird ginger. 
<laughs> no, he's the the really weird. I know uh, what DJ Qualls okay. was. Yeah, he was in uh, the new guy. Yeah, that was probably, and he was also in uh, Road Trip, right? Yeah, and he was in uh, one of those Zombie Nation or not Zombie Nation, whatever that zomb really bad zombie show is, which Eli is like a big fan of. He's like. <laughs> It's really funny hearing him talking about it because he hate watches it. Like he hates the show and he thinks it's so awful, but he can't stop watching it. <laughs> so he's just like every season he tunes in for more just to see like how bad the show still is. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, legit. Cause I watched the first two seasons of that and it's, uh, it, it's sort of like Louis CK his show. Okay. So it's kind of like loosely based on his trials and tribulations as a comic living in LA sort of thing. And Jim Jeffries for people that don't know is from Australia. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know I've heard the name a lot and I think I have him on my queue, but I haven't watched it. Um, or his stand up, I should yeah. say. And that show is so funny. Um, it was the last, other than Star Wars, it was the last thing I had seen Carrie Fisher in. Yeah. Was it this week that they came out with their autopsy? Yeah. Yeah, that was a bummer. They found all the cocaine and, and heroin. heroin and some other stuff in her in her system. So they don't know exactly what killed her, but, you know, sounded yeah. like she was having substance problems so which she, i mean you know she's had throughout her career yeah i mean with the the mental issues she's had through her career so i mean it's yeah i was reading a thought piece on that and they say like bipolar and and uh substance problems tend to go hand in hand a lot of the time just because like that's sort of how you even out sometimes when you're bipolar just yeah. by self medicating with stuff so it's not it's not like it's unusual either but that's it's just a real bummer it, it kind of it struck me wrong that it was even a story too and i realized there was no way it was not going to be a story but part of me is like can't you just like i don't know not made it a story like just don't report on what's you know in your it's, it didn't really hit me so much because i i mean i knew she had a lot of issues in her past and that didn't really bother me what bothered me was how people reacted to it because a lot of people it really lessened her in their eyes and to me it really didn't no it didn't to me either like that's i but i've been a fan of hers for a long time like i, I just know that's something she struggled with you know her whole life so it's I mean, just watch Postcards from the Edge and know that that's her memoir. You know, <laughs> like it's it's right there. Uh, but it, or if you watch like Wishful Drinking, like when she talks about that, it's like you know, it's on Front Street there, and she's really talking about it. Which like I would say that was like I watched that in that documentary that HBO did with like her and um, uh, her mom Debbie Reynolds, uh, and. <clears throat> those were like really really good like both of them but i would say like if you're thinking about carrie fish and you're bummed out watch wishful drinking like that's a great way to like 
like it's it's such a great take on her life and it's her doing her like one person show and it's really funny and really sharp and like she doesn't pull any punches on herself either and it's just like it's a really entertaining way to watch and it really showcases like what a funny like genuine and warm person she is but also how self-deprecating she was you know and uh but anyway i'm going off on a rant here like i just i just wish they hadn't made that a story i guess yeah like we already we already kind of knew when she died right like when she died from heart failure if you were able to put two and two together it was like we already kind of knew that something was involved i felt that way anyway so it's like <clears throat> just feel like we didn't need like this the salt rubbed in the wound yeah or being sensationalized yeah it's really not a story at the, like I, I i realize it's a story but it's like why is it a story at this point you yeah. know like she already died her mom died immediately after like let's just give her brother a break and not put it in the news cycle like she already died I feel like there wasn't a big question about why, so I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, another little piece of news I had was the, the city of L.A. did a tribute to uh, Adam West last oh, yeah? week. They uh, lit up the bat signal on the, the famous police department downtown. That's and I, awesome. And they had, like, uh, Burt Ward and... Uh, mayor of LA and a bunch of people like gave speeches and stuff. It was really, it was kind of interesting. I was watching some stuff on YouTube that they put out and it was, it was a really good tribute. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. Adam West, like he's one of those guys, like you just can't even tell what a big mark he has on pop culture. Like so much stuff fishes from batman how many times have you seen something referencing that batman show like in your (laughs) lifetime you know what i mean like it's so much stuff like it's just like it's got such an indelible imprint on on pop culture that it's like yeah he needs he needs all the accolades (laughs) he should get them but uh with that has come some negative stories with Adam West too, I've noticed, but I'm not gonna share any of those because it's like it's it's shitty to like share those stories right yeah. after somebody dies, you know. But um let's get on slightly less depressing a lot less depressing <laughs> news, but uh Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh they left the Han Solo spinoff that um movie that they're doing over creative differences. Um so here's where it really sucks. They've been filming since January, and they were supposed to wrap up in a couple of weeks. And, and they're scheduled to do reshoots later this summer. Like, that was just scheduled. As we've talked oh, about yeah. a lot on this show, like, every big picture, they just schedule reshoots. But so, like, they left in the middle of it. So, um, and Amy, pa- or not Amy Pascal. Now I'm getting Sony mixed up here. Um, Kathleen Kennedy, who runs Star Wars like the Star Wars wing for Disney. Uh, she said it was over creative differences and Phil Lord and Chris Miller also said it was over creative differences. So it was purely over that they said, so it doesn't seem like there's a pissing match or anything, but I'm wondering what's going on and what the fuck's going to happen now. Uh, I don't know. They're not going to like shelve the movie. It's too far along. Like the movie's going to happen 
Especially like a big... Especially something that they know is going to make money. Yeah. They're going to put something out because they've got a lot invested in it and they know it's going to make money. And who are they going to throw into the role now too and or into the director's chair? And are they going to change the script all of a sudden? Like they're pretty far down the road. I just, there's a, and it's a bummer for me because I appreciate all of their work. And so it's like, I, I really dug that they were doing that movie and now it's going to be somebody else. Like, how's it going to change? You know, it's just like, it's kind of a bummer, but I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Let's see what else here. Um, Daniel Day Lewis retired from acting. I think today. Really? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's got one movie coming down the shoot, which is with Paul Thomas Anderson called Phantom Thread, where he is a. Um, I think he's a tailor in the fifties, but or no, not a tailor. He's like a clothes designer in the fifties. So, so Paul Thomas Anderson, for my money, like I like all of his movies. So. Um, I'm sure it'll be a good one to go out on, but uh, he <clears throat> he's gonna promote the movie, like he said that. But he said that, like he put out a statement that he's retiring from from acting, and he, it I noticed like it was specifically said acting, so it makes me wonder if he's done in movies or if maybe he's thinking about directing or or some other producing. I or feel something. like he's one of those guys that could take the Clint Eastwood route. Yeah. With his career. Quite possibly, yeah. Definitely respect it. He's got three best actor nods. Nobody else, at least living, has that. So, um, or like actual trophies. Like a lot of people have been nominated more times, but uh, like he holds three Oscars, which is pretty impressive. But um, he's he basically said like he was retiring from acting and that was the end and they weren't going to put out any more statements about it. So, we don't know why, but I have a guess. Can I can I recklessly speculate on somebody's <laughs> All right. here? Daniel Day Lewis has been the shorthand for the joke about like um you, you know, like he's the whenever you do like the method acting joke, you always go Daniel Day Lewis because he's like the biggest example. Right? That dude like lives roles and he goes home and like stays in character while he's home and stuff. And he even when he won his last last Oscar uh, he was even thanking his wife for um, putting up with him when he was doing all these characters and stuff. So he's clearly taken it home. I just think like his wife was like, I, I and I'm not blaming his wife or anything. I just think like it was impeding on his family time, and it was like, okay, it's time to step away so I can have a normal life for a while. <laughs> so I think when you're like that into method, you either have to change what you're doing or you just have to step down. You yeah. Know? Like, I don't think you can just do that the rest of your life unless you want to live kind of like a life where you're just doing it for movies and nothing else. You'll end up like a Howard Hughes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if he plays Howard Hughes. Holy crap. (laughs) That would would be the rule. If you wanted to destroy Daniel Day-Lewis's life, like, (laughs) make him play Howard Hughes. He'd just, like, start peeing in jars and growing out his fingernails. He'd insist. Like, walking around in clean Xboxes. Yeah. On his feet. He'd start having uh, Mormons take care of him at home because they're the only ones who can. Dude, Howard Hughes, I don't... I'm not exactly sure how we got off on this tangent, but, like, (laughs) Howard Hughes, like, it can't be understated how 
how eccentric he was. I mean, he had OCD. We're pretty sure. We're pretty sure when you look back at everything, he had OCD, but they didn't know what OCD was back in those days. It wasn't a thing that was diagnosed. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the, one of the things that I heard that I didn't know was he bought this TV station in LA. I think it was in LA where, or no, it was in Las Vegas because he lived in Las Vegas, right? He's in the top floor of this casino. And he lived in the penthouse apartment, which he had like checked into the, like he, he got a room there and just liked it. So he bought the entire hotel. And then like he demanded that they bring him like this cherry, I think it was like vanilla cherry ice cream and they ran out of it. So he bought the company that had it and just made sure that they kept fully stocking the freezers with it in the casino, like just so that he could have it every single day at a certain time. And then he bought a television station in Las Vegas to just play this movie over and over again that he wanted to watch. Cause it was like before VCRs, right? Yeah. So like he would have them just play this movie on a loop every single day. And like that, that's what they did. Like he bought out the station just to do that. Isn't that, that's isn't that, crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just like, oh, if I had money like that, man. <laughs> it's just like, what would Biggs do? What would Biggs do? I don't even know, man. I would. I hope I wouldn't go the Howard Hughes route. <laughs> but something tells me I would. Not those exact things, but my own weird things. Like, yeah. I would buy Netflix and then make sure that, like, they always had Flash Gordon on the title screen when you opened it <laughs> up. It always said, like, Flash Gordon. Fuck this Bojack Horseman. <laughs> yeah, replace that with Flash Gordon. Just, like, every single time you open it up, it's like, Flash. we think you would like ah. Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's one of those that actually has the music in it, the whole thing. Yeah, and it's like a red and yellow, like, they just turn Netflix from, like, their white red theme to, like, yeah, like, red and gold. <laughs> it just plays Queen music every time you open it up. You have to, like, instead of picking a profile, you have to pick Flash Gordon or other just to start it. Who's watching? Flash? Sarkov? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the usernames are like Zarkov, Flash, Dale, Mang, Clytus. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd I forget here? Prince Baron. <sighs> Who's the hot guy? Why can't I think of it? <sighs> Gordon's alive. Can't think of it. Oh, wow. God. That's going to drive me crazy. Why is it neither of us can think of it right now? Yeah, that's insane, dude. Usually we're right on this. Anything with Flash Gordon. There's a documentary coming out called Life After Flash that I really want to see. So, the other day I was uh, flipping through, I think it was Netflix, and flipping through the documentaries, and they had one that was about Queen. Really? Did it have Queen music in it? None. Ugh, Zero. I've seen that documentary Queen, on TV. Like, it's the worst. Oh, it, it was the worst documentary about Queen I have ever seen. Yeah, I I feel like I saw it on VH1. Um, and it was like a, 
it was like some British guys in their basement produced this with some really bad like at home rock and roll music. Yeah, and I, I can tell what happened without even hearing the story. I know what happened. They they did this documentary, which like the stories would be the fine story. And the stories were like interesting, but it was like it's so unbearable because there's no Queen music. There's no so, Queen music. They don't. Eat, they actually had like hand drawn pictures of the band members of Queen. They didn't actually have any pictures yeah, of Queen. Yeah, it's completely unauthorized, I'm sure. And I th- I'm sure they thought they'd be able to do it, and it just didn't pan <laughs> out. But that's what also made me excited about Life After Flash. It was like I was sitting there. Um, they, they put out... Dude, just... If you're a fa- fan of Flash Gordon, check this out. Like, like their page on Facebook. They got a Kickstarter campaign. I think they raise all the money they need. I think I'm not a hundred percent on this, but it should be coming out soon. And they interviewed, it seems like everybody they could possibly get for this. And when I was really impressed when I was watching the trailer was when I saw Brian May, I was like, Oh my God, they got Brian May, like the guitarist for queen. I was just <laughs> like, that was just like the cherry on top for me. But I mean, they got everybody. They got Brian blessed. Um, they got Sam Jones doing a whole bunch. They got, Melody Anderson. and his voice. What's that? And his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just like they got so many people in there. I was just like, it made me so happy watching that documentary. But uh yeah, I think it's gonna be real good. But yeah, that the Queen thing, that's just a bad idea to do a documentary when you can't get the Queen songs. It's like at that point, I feel like you just shelve it and you're like, Well fuck, we tried. But what do you do, man? You don't have... You know, it, it was kind of interesting because it had a lot of really interesting backstory into the the band members' life, stuff that I had didn't know. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. But I ended up, like, I watched, I think it was a 45-minute documentary. I mm-hmm. watched about 15 to 20 minutes. I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I can't watch the rest I, of this. I got through probably about that much, and I was just like, "Fuck, I can't get through it." I want to, but it's just like, it's a, when you hear that other music that's supposed to ape for Queen. It's just like, at that point, you gotta if you can't get the music, you gotta come up with something else. Like, I don't think you can you know even it, use music at that point. It, they could have done a few. Di- I mean, they could have sold their research to somebody that could get the rights to the queen music or do something different i wonder what happened there i wonder if they told the story that queen wasn't okay with that's a very real possibility because and there is possibility there the living members are like real real tight on like certain things with freddie mercury like they just don't want it being told yeah because freddie mercury did a lot of outlandish crazy <laughs> shit and i think like they're trying to like reshape the story. That's why, like, I have, I don't know what's going on with this Queen biopic right now, but I don't have a lot of faith in it. Like, it wasn't so much that Sasha Baron Cohen thought, like, it really seemed like he'd be like a perfect Freddie Mercury. I, see, I was happy. I was fine with him being cast as Freddie Mercury. But it's not that. It was a story he told on Howard Stern about it, like, later. He was just like, well, and and he wasn't like mad at him or anything. It seemed like he was just like, you know, it's like they're trying to like shape their story and they're trying to like beef up their part of the story. But ironically, everybody's interested in Freddie Mercury. We don't want to know the rest of the band story as much. Like it's more about Freddie. And like, 
I kind of agree. Like I, I, I am as big of a Queen fan as there is out there, and like Freddie Mercury is just like endlessly more fascinating than the other members, and it's nothing against him. It's just like he had such a presence and such a crazy life too that like, yeah, like that's what I want to know about. Like a Queen biopic, I want to hear. Like Freddie Mercury, like I want it like a Doors ratio, right? Like the movie The Doors. Yeah. Like the Doors I think are they, in it. I and think that like movie parts. got it right. Yeah, the Doors are in it, and they're an important part. But like, it's about Jim Morrison more than anything. And like, I feel like if you're gonna make a good Queen biopic, that's what you gotta do. Like, you put the rest of the members in it. Yeah, and- the other members gotta be in it because they were part of his story. And I guess like. The last third of the movie, like that they wanted to do, was basically going to be them soldiering on without Freddie Mercury. But it's like, to me, it's like, no, like a biopic, you should be focusing on like a period of time. And that just seems like a bad idea to like take it from a certain point and then just move on without like the most charismatic member that everybody cared about. Like, no. Like Freddie Mercury dying, I hate to say it, but Freddie Mercury dying, that's kind of the perfect ending for a movie in a way. Yeah. Like it's super sad and tragic, but it's like, you know, like it's what happened. It's what people remember. Or at least like cut it off before he dies then. But I mean, don't. You know, there's like this small window, like just. And even with Freddie Mercury, I mean, you could go up to like weeks before he died. And end it there. You could end it you could when end, he dies, or you could end it. If you what, wanted, my my favorite would be if they ended it with like the tribute concerts that he did after he died. Yeah, like that would be a great ending. So my my ideal, I, I think, like as a movie, it would probably work the best with Freddie Mercury's death. But if you wanted to end it more upbeat, I would say end it at Wembley Stadium. Like they did this huge show. Like if if you like Queen at all, you probably know something about it. Which is like the it's got the iconic kind of like Freddie outfit where he's wearing that yellow jacket with the weird straps and a white shirt underneath it. And uh, they recorded a bunch of tracks on it. It's just like a phenomenal concert. It was they had like half a million people there at Wembley Stadium when they did it and it's just like it's a fucking incredible concert and it was the last live concert they ever did and yeah, that, that would be like that would that would be a sense, good right? ending it's before he started having lesions popping up on his face for aids but like he knew he had aids by that point he was just like not being public about it you know and uh like that would at least be a, a point that makes sense if you want to end it on a positive. But this like like having a third of the movie without Freddy, no, that's that's a mistake. Like, and I'll put it this way: like, let's be honest, like a band is as good as their albums, right? How many albums did they put out after Freddie Mercury died? They put out a posthumous album, like. Seven years after he died, they finished mixing it and stuff and put it out. And it was a really good album. But then, like, I think they put out Queen Rocks, which was like a compilation of hard rock. And they did one new song on it that didn't have Freddie Mercury. And then they put out a live album with uh, uh, What's-His-Face from Bad Company. Uh, Paul Rogers. Yeah, Paul Rogers. That's it. That's yeah. all they did. Like after, So, like... What are you focusing on here? Like there's and there's, there's not 
There's no story there. Yeah, I mean, there's a story. It's just not you want to do the most entertaining story you can do. Like, I don't know. It's just a mistake. And if you really want to focus on all four of them, then focus on all four of them and not, like, hone in on the other three later. I don't know. But that's what happens when you hold all the rights to the music and the story. You know what I mean? True that. How did we get here? (laughs) (laughs) Howard Hughes? And ended up with Howard Freddie Hughes Mercury. biopic, like talking about if you wanted to drive Daniel Day Lewis insane. <laughs> I think that's how we got here. Uh, welcome to Tangent Skies. I'm <laughs> so I want to go in a little different direction here. Okay. So uh, Mel Brooks is really trying to get Spaceballs two to happen. He's been trying for a while. So the search for more money. Yep. <laughs> so recently, uh, this was uh, June 9th. They put up a couple items for auction. Rick Moranis's helmet from space, the original Spaceballs. Right. So his dark helmet. Dark helmet's helmet was one of the pieces. And then the other one was. Uh, the miniature that they used for the uh, the outside shots of the Eagle Five Winnebago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll start with the. Uh, they're still. I think they're still actively bidding on this. Okay. Uh, take a guess what the Rick Moranis's dark helmet? dark helmet's worth. Okay. Mel Brooks has been around for a long time. He's like old Hollywood. I mean, not old, yeah. old Hollywood, but like. He's getting about as old Hollywood as you and can And he's get. definitely done. Like Spaceballs, as far as I'm concerned, is a classic. But even if you don't consider it a classic, everybody considers Young Frankenstein and, and uh, Blazing Saddles classics. So he's definitely like anything associated with him is probably going to. Fetch a good penny, and Star Wars Mania is is high, like high as high as it's been right now. Um, I must say the dark helmet's going for like a quarter mil. You're about ten times high. Wow, twenty five thousand, thirty grand. That's probably more reasonable, but <laughs> I want it to be more. <laughs> and again this is a couple weeks old so it might have if the the auction could have ended now i haven't really like followed up is this on, on it. like ebay or um let's see here. i guess if it was a private auction with paddles it would be more realistic but this is probably like an internet thing so i guess that makes more sense it's not it's a private auction through Invaluable. I don't know what that okay, is. Okay, I don't know anything about this. So, so thirty thousand dollars. Okay, would so get you way off. <laughs> the dark helmet. Okay, so now the Winnebago miniature. Yeah, it's about thing? three feet long, and they used it for like the exterior shots of the. Okay. Now, tempering my (laughs) expectations based off of hearing the Dark Helmet. I feel like Dark Helmet, that's got to be worth more 
than the Winnebago. You are correct. Yeah, it's it's got to be. So having now retempered it, and we said it was going for thirty grand. The, dark the helmet, helmet was, was thirty grand. So I'm gonna say like ten grand. It's currently at twenty grand. Okay. That's like pretty good for like movie props. So the other thing that they put up for auction is they've taken parts of R2-D2 from all seven movies Uh and created an R2-D2. So it's not one that's been in the movie, but it's... Parts of it have. Parts of it, okay. (laughs) So am I going to guess what that's worth? And they have a current bid on that. Fifty thousand. That one's going for a cool million. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I thought maybe because it wasn't like a full R two D two from like one of the movies, maybe it. Would but it's from cool. all the movies, right? Yeah. I didn't. Wow, I'm surprised that they didn't even just full on CGI R two D two for like the prequels. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I really thought that was completely yeah. CGI. I could totally see that being a thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I my thoughts on like Spaceball the search for more money. Okay, so it seems like the major roadblock for this cuz I have like every it seems like about every year I like catch I read something where I catch up on this cuz Mel Brooks has been really trying to make this a thing for like at least like 8 years now. Yeah. Like the entire course of my marriage. Um and so it seems like the major holdup is Rick Moranis because Rick Moranis is retired and he doesn't want to do any more movies. Uh, you know, do we really need Rick Moranis for this movie? Like, if you're doing a parody of, of like, Spaceballs or a Star Wars, like, you can move it forward and, like, I mean, do we have to have Dark Helmet? Can't we have, like, the Kylo Ren knockoff? <laughs> It seems to me like there's you, a very you, organic way to You like, could totally do it. Yeah, and I'm not like, like I would love to see Rick Moranis back for something like me this. Me too, but he's not going to do it. He's made it very yeah. clear he's not going to do it. And like I think like Mel Brooks is still funny. Like I still hear him on interviews, <laughs> he's still funny, he's still sharp. Like I want to see Spaceballs to the the search for more money. I I genuinely want to see <laughs> I would it. love to see that. And like a lot of the cast members are dead and it's only going to get worse as time goes on. So you have like the younger characters and then like the brand new younger characters and then get as many from the original as you can. Like there's no reason why you can't cut Bill Paxton a check. Or Bill Paxson. That's Bill a Pol- bad idea. <laughs> you can Pol- cut him a check, but he's not going to cash yeah. it. Cut, like, <laughs> cut Bill Pullman a check and get him in there. Because Bill Pullman would fucking kill it in that movie. And like, I just don't see why we can't do that. But that's just how I feel about that. Um, so something else that's been kind of prevalent in the, the internet <laughs> the last day or two. They're talking about how Gal Gadot only got three hundred grand for Wonder Woman, and this is one of those rare times where I'm gonna be like, "Let's just pull back the guns a little bit," because <laughs> people are saying like she's being improportionately paid. And I gotta say, like my gut reaction when I read that was like, I don't know, because she wasn't all that known you know, going into like her playing Wonder Woman and typically like we've seen it with like Marvel Studios, for example, 
when somebody goes to play the the superhero they did not get huge checks until they had a couple under their belt and then when they renegotiate they get that giant payday and i think people are just used to seeing that giant payday and uh apparently that's kind of the case <laughs> like when i feel like at- uh she's gonna get paid when uh justice league rolls out yeah, well, I think Justice League, she's still under contract. And then I think she's going to like re up for any Wonder Woman stuff after that. And so it's like, that's when she'll get the big payday. But for example, Chris Evans for Captain America First Avenger got like 300 grand. Like he got the same thing that she's getting right now. So it's like, I do think if you look at it, uh, objectively, I don't think she's getting fucked right now. Like she's in for a giant payday because <laughs> you can't replace her at this point. Like that movie is a hit. And by the way, this was what was really cool that I was reading. As I said, if you track, um, because every week that a, a temple movie comes out, like it has a drop off, right? And if you track where her, like how much percentage the drop offs are going per week, uh, Wonder Woman is tracking to outdo all of the other DCEU movies. So, like, it's tracking to, to eventually beat Batman Superman right now based off of the drop-offs that are happening because it, it dropped by, like, 39%, I want to say, the first week, and then, like, something like 29% the next week. So, like, that's that's significantly less than the other DCU movies, and it's because it's reviewed good, right? Like, yeah. people aren't talking shit about it, so... Um, if it keeps going at this pace, it's, it's gonna outdo like the 850 million that Batman Superman did worldwide. So that's really cool. Like, I'm happy to hear that, that people actually like showed up for Wonder Woman and like it got good reviews and cause it was a good movie. It was really good. So, and then the other news with Wonder Woman is Jeff Johns revealed that He's working on a treatment right now with Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman on uh, Wonder Woman Two. So, like, she's not she's not re-upped yet. Like, she's renegotiating her contract clearly off of the wording I heard about it right now. But the fact that she's working on a treatment with Jeff Johns tells me that they're pretty sure they're gonna lock her up for another one. So. That's good. Good. I, I don't want to see any other director do that movie. I want Patty Jenkins again. Like she fucking delivered a great movie. So yeah. So some sad news. Uh, John G. Avildsen, the director for Rocky and the Karate Kid, passed away this week. Oh, that's a bummer. He did the so, Karate Kid as well. Yeah. Now I see the connection with you're the best around. <laughs> no, for real though, yep. because uh, you're the best around was supposed to be for Rocky Three, and then they wound up using Eye of the Tiger instead, and then so that song wound up for Karate Kid. So yeah, that okay. I see that connection now. <laughs> well, dude, Rocky is fucking great. I was just watching the Karate Kid like three days ago. Was it three days ago? No, it was like two days ago. I was watching The Karate Kid. Uh, we were sitting there watching it, and I have the same reaction I have ever since I've been an adult in that scene where they're at the dance, and he's wearing like a shower curtain. And like he God, sees like the kid. I don't remember kid. that movie at all. Oh, okay. So like Daniel, after he gets his ass kicked a couple of times by the bullies, um, he's he's at this dance at the school, and he's wearing this giant like shower curtain so that they can't tell who he is 
and he can be incognito. And so he's in the bathroom and he's like washing his hands and all the kids are like dressed up as skeletons, all the bullies. And one of them's in the, the bathroom stall. And so somehow Daniel like takes like a hose and connects it up to the sink and then like turns it on and gets the dude soaked in the stall. And then he runs out and then they like kick the living shit out of him. And then like Pat Morita comes out and like karate's the fuck out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and carries that literally carries daniel home <laughs> so, but like every time i watch that scene i'm always like why did he do that that was really stupid like <laughs> if these kids are bullying you here's the thing like i understand wanting to get even but if you're wearing like a shower curtain to hide from these guys doesn't that sort of expose you yeah yeah it's just like that that scene always bothered me but still i, I love that movie um yeah, it's it's a fun movie. So, yeah. Anyway, so he <laughs> passed, huh? Any word on what he passed from, or? Uh, doo, doo, doo. uh no cause of death has been revealed yet. Mm. Doesn't matter, dude. Guy directed Rocky. <laughs> Gotta give res- mad respect. I think he also did Rocky Balboa as well, if I remember right. I'm pretty sure it was the same director, so, so they wanted to get the same kind of feel. Went back to the same neighborhood and everything. But uh, Moving on a little more pop culture news. Uh, Star Trek Discovery. So we kn- we have a date that it's going to premiere now. It's going to be September 24th on CBS. And then the second episode will immediately be available on its streaming platform. Like literally when the first episode ends on CBS, you can then watch another hour-long episode on on their platform. I'm hoping that they have the first episode up there as well. I'm sure that that'll be a thing. And then after that, for the next seven weeks, they're going to release one episode a week. They're going to take a break until January, and then they're going to release seven more. So it's a 15-episode season. But we get two hours on the first day, but you have to have CBS All Access to catch it all. So that strikes me as kind of smart. I don't like the the season split down the middle, but I get it. Like Walking Dead's been doing it. Battlestar Galactica did it for a long time. So it's like... AMC has fucking made a thing out of this. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the, I mean, CW has been doing that with their shows. It's not quite as pronounced, but they have like, they take like a four week break in December. I've been reading criticism. Um, like, a lot of people are pissed off that they're not doing it like Netflix and releasing them all at once, but I'm like, you kind of had to see this coming. Like yeah. they're using it to launch this new, this new like platform. You want people to pay for a couple months of the platform. And if they're paying for a couple of months, there's a good chance. They're just going to keep it on the thing. You know, maybe you find something that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Like I get it. I, I would rather have them release all at once, but if I'm being honest, maybe I don't want them all released at once. Because if it's a good show, I'm kind of looking around all the talk around each episode. Like, if it's a good show, it's going to have good dialogue with the internet and weird yeah. memes and stuff. And I look forward to that, too. So, I just hope it's good. <laughs> oh, man, I hope it's good. But only time will tell. Uh, did you have anything else there? So, last thing I was going to end with 
is I'm going to try and uh, get a Hunter S. Thompson story in okay. for the upcoming future. So this is the time that Hunter S. Thompson went hunting for pygmies instead of reporting on the fight of the century. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In 1974, Hunter S. Thompson and Ralph Steadman went off to Zaire for coverage on the rumble in the jungle between Muhammad Ali and George, and George Foreman. Foreman. Uh, it remains all, one of the all-time strangest events in sports. It was hosted by an a- African dictator, covered by the world's top journalists, and cost a fortune if you were able to track down tickets. By the way, that... um. If you're curious on this at all, or if you just like soul music from like the seventies, uh, when we were kings is fucking a phenomenal. Like it's the best documentary I've ever seen. Like just hands down, it's phenomenal, and it talks about this. But like before the fight, before everybody came down for the fight, that dictator like had everybody rounded up who is even slightly <laughs> questionable with the criminal past and like just fucking put them in jail cells that was right below the fucking arena that they fought in crazy yeah anyway um and rolling stone wanted to be at the center of the madness so of course they sent their best man to cover it instead of attending the fight thompson gave away his tickets <laughs> or according to stedman he sold them for weed <laughs> And then went on a quest to find wanted Nazi war criminal Martin Borman. Also to find pygmies so he could ask if it was possible for them to be eaten by cobras. (laughs) (laughs) Whether he met his pygmies or not, we'll never know. But he did meet some locals from which he bought some ivory. (laughs) While dealing with the locals, he claimed to be George Foreman's doctor, Dr. Borman. Dr. Borman? <laughs> if you'll recall, was the Nazi they're looking yeah. for. Oh, I got that. <laughs> Later, George Plimpton and Norman, Ma- Norman Mailer discovered Thompson floating naked in the hotel pool, hammered thanks to wild turkey and hired God knows what. He didn't even know who'd won the fight. <laughs> Once Thompson and Stedman made it back to the States, Hunter's Ivory was confiscated by customs. Instead of paying the meager fees and taxes, which went around to about $60, Thompson charged past security, grabbing the tusks and making a run for it with airport security chasing past him. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like Hunter. (laughs) He also did a really great sh- story, and I think it was in The Great Shark Hunt, um, talking with Muhammad Ali. He did this big interview with Muhammad Ali, and I think it was when he lost his first fight to Leon Sphinx, I want to say. I think it was Leon Sphinx, but um, it's a really, really good story. And uh, he definitely touches on the rumble in the jungle, but it's just really funny to hear that he fucked it up and didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a hunter thing to do. I mean, like, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is his most famous work, and he was supposed to be there covering the Mint 400 for uh, Sports Illustrated. It's yeah. like this motorcycle race out in the desert. 
and he like hands him all these pages and it's like hardly about the mint <laughs> at all it's like you have like i don't know maybe maybe a thousand words on the mint 400 and maybe then, yeah maybe and then like a hundred thousand words on like <laughs> everything that's not the mint 400 that was going on they were like what is this we can't use this <laughs> And then Rolling Stone was like, oh, we can use this. And they, they actually, that's an interesting thing a lot of people don't know about Fear and Loathing Las Vegas is uh, it was published in two parts by Rolling Stone. Like they, they basically did what was the first half of the book and then the second half of the book, the next issue. And then the next year he put it out as a book. So, um, and that was his, definitely like his biggest book. But, yeah. And far and away, but. Yeah. <laughs> good old hunter dude i like this i like the hunter stories every week this is really awesome all right do we got anything else to cover here or should we should we cut it off i think i'm good here all right take it easy if you're living in a bubble and you haven't got a kiss well you're gonna be in trouble cause we're gonna steal your ass on your laptop put them on your phone put them in your ears not safe for network with the not safe for network the entertainment's ringing through your brain collect them all or trade them with your friends not safe for network real roulette maybe you're a film student i'm picturing you with a beret we had a good life well strap it's a bit of the gift and the curse that's debatable it'd be nice if they showed a little accountability the Alien Movie Project. It's just another clear-cut case of American exceptionalism. Montucky Skies. I'm spoiling the shit out of this in three, two, one. Bigs on film. We're watching this on Netflix because I'm three beers in and lost the Blu-ray. Listen to all the archives in a row and they form a mega podcast so long that your significant other will be drawing up divorce papers. Not safe for network.